everyone. I'm Alan Bolio. As you know, I hope from ITR Economics, and it was a pleasure speaking with you uh, for the AC ACGFEI event. But now we get to answer your questions. So I hope you enjoyed this uh, Trends Talk. Uh, I'm going to take the questions in order. I'm going to do my best to answer them. There were a lot of questions, which we're really happy about. So if you don't hear your question in the first you know, five, it's because there's a pretty good list of them. So let's get started. First question is, when will our debt catch up uh, to us in the United States? What might that look like? Um, the answer to that is, uh, it will catch up to us later this decade. We don't think we're going to see any uh, negative effects from this in the next few years anyways. Interest rates are likely to remain low. Inflation's not likely to uh, become an issue, which would lead to higher interest rates, which makes the debt problematic. Uh, that's all likely to happen later this decade. Uh, just in your mind right now, put that second half. So sometime in the second half, the debt becomes more of a burden on the federal budget. When it's more of a burden on the federal budget, taxes need to go up, or more borrowing needs to occur, which makes taxes need to go up because the federal budget isn't, you know, is getting worse. Or the government cuts spending, which is going to be very hard to do with an aging population. So it's all just later, Liana, and just let it go uh, from your things you worry about today, but uh, it'll definitely impact your life later on. Uh, right now we're into modern monetary theory, uh, unofficially, but it seems to be comfortable with people because that means we can just uh, borrow, spend to our heart's content, and as long as GDP growth is ahead of inflation, uh, we won't have any worries. That's the theory. Trouble is it never stays that way, but you know, don't let theory, reality get in the way of theory, I suppose, is, is a good mantra. Uh, do I feel like the stock market as a whole is overvalued? Uh, yes, in relation to uh, profits. The P-E ratio, we believe, is high historically. Profits have begun to improve some, which is certainly good. And the market is being supported by the Federal Reserve Board. But yeah, I would put it on the overvalued. But having said that, our financial leading indicator is not worried. To stay in, in the market and our, our optimizer, which I've mentioned to you in, in the presentation, um, is saying stay in cyclicals. Uh, so if you want to know more about that, you can send me an email and uh, we can talk directly, alan at itreconomics.com. Uh, okay, and what do I expect for the market for 2022? Uh, you know, that's so far out, I, I don't have anything to tell you. Our leading indicator doesn't go that far. And uh, I would not want to hazard a yes uh, at this point in time. How much do you expect Treasury 10 yields to increase in 2021? The answer is very little. Uh, I checked right before answering this, they're at 1.1 round numbers, and maybe they'll go up to 1.2, maybe on the far side, just a little more than that, but you're not gonna see a lot of change in, in 2021. Still have all the factors in place, still have, uh, other nations with low interest rates, so at least we're not negative. We still have people wanting the comfort of uh, US dollars. We still have a treasury that uh, is selling to the Federal Reserve Board, Federal Reserve Board who wants it on their balance sheet. I mean, it's monetary policy is very accommodative and not likely to change anytime soon. So don't expect a rise in interest rates uh, of any note in 2021, which does mean for the question of mortgages that came up, uh, those are also gonna stay about where they are, maybe edge up a little. The uh, commercial market can go up a little more, but traditionally where the 10-year bond goes, uh, there goes the mortgage rate. So don't expect a lot of problems there, which is certainly good for the housing market. Uh, can I talk more about domestic energy production and use? We have an 
obvious social and economic move towards more renewable energy, but how, do, how close are we actually, are we to actually transitioning in years? We're not close. Uh, we're not close at all. Uh, President-elect Biden has stated that he wants zero emission public transportation by uh, 2030 in every city of over 100,000 people. Can you imagine the infrastructure and the cost of that, let alone the technological capability to make that happen? We're not close. There's a big push in his agenda for electric vehicles. We don't have the infrastructure. We don't have the power grid. We don't have the ability to, to do that, not to mention the batteries we have are not going to make it for the long haul. 300 some odd miles is not enough. There are companies working on 600 some odd miles and 15 minute recharges, but they say they're four to five years out. So this is a slow process. It's an ideal, it's an idea, uh, idea. It's uh, I said idea like in New England, it's an, it's an idea, but the reality is um, incremental change as we go forward. Hopefully plenty of time for you to adjust and get on the bandwagon because I think uh, it is just gonna keep moving in that direction. Uh, cost of higher ed has been in the spotlight for a number of years and even more so this past year. Will traditional liberal arts schools adapt? Uh, does this bode well for trade school grow growth? I certainly hope liberal arts schools adapt. They have an important place. They serve a, a good function. If they don't adapt, they will die. Uh, it's as simple as that. There'll always be some and people who want to send, spend a hundred and thousand a year for one year of a child's education or even 60,000 a year for one year of a child's education. There'll always be some of that, but not for the masses. Not with all the options that are becoming available. And I think it bodes well for trade school growth. I think what's going to help that more than anything, though, is uh, government and academic and business leaders saying, you know, we need more of this and promote the pay of those uh, programs. A CNC operator makes a good living. Carpenter makes a good living. Truck driver makes a good living. So why aren't we promoting those? And you do that without college debt. You do that without the educational cost either. You can do it at most two years at much less than you will by going to college. It's a question of whether you want to do it or not. Uh, this is actually in our new book coming up. It's cleverly called Book Four. It does not have a title yet, but I examined all this. And there are lots of reasons to urge your offspring to go to trade school uh, and, but it's a question of, do they want to? And that's cultural as well as how they're brought up and how they view life. All right, do you, I expect 30-year mortgages? We already tracked that uh, just by a little because of the 10-year bond discussion. As a millennial, what should my expectation or play be for my 401k in the 2030s? Is there a good asset strategy to capitalize on in the 20s then pull back in the 30s? Yeah, you want to be looking at something like the optimizer B. And again, send me an email, I'll explain that to you, but if you're a millennial and you have nine years uh, to go on this track, uh, put as much money as you possibly can, look for something like the optimizer B, Again, send me the email and you can know what I'm talking about. And then you wanna make sure that in the, right before you follow the wealth advisor's advice and you go to something really secure at the moment, I would probably recommend Canadian bonds. That may change in nine years, but right now I think Canadian bonds, good rate of return, solid as all outdoors, uh, good financial institutions, uh, not a lot of heavy borrowing, all the rest of that. And so your play is gonna be that when the stock market crashes, somewhere around the middle of that decade, you're gonna sell your bonds for good money because they're gonna be high yield. Then you're gonna go back into equities, you're gonna buy businesses, you're gonna buy 
real estate, you're going to find that perfect home on the lake, you're going to do all the things you want to do. And let's say you put a million dollars or two, let's say $1 million into equities in the middle of the Great Depression. If it's other, like other rebounds, the, when it's fully recovered, you're going to come out of that with two to $3 million. So that's your play, my friend. Uh, be smart for the next nine years, be risk-taking, uh, risk-averse late this decade, and be risk-taking in the middle of the 2030s. Stay tuned to ITR. We'll be happy to help you with the timing of that all along the way. All right, what did you get wrong in your forecast uh, last 12 months uh, sanitizing it for COVID? That's a um, interesting question. I pondered that one for a bit because it wasn't GDP that was on track with forecasts and so was industrial production. Uh, and everything changed because of COVID. So sanitizing it for COVID leaves us with, well, it's a brand new world and a world we did not envision. The political, uh, you know, we didn't, we never forecast winners and that doesn't change our outlook on life. Um, the only thing that was probably the biggest surprise, and this is not sanitized for COVID, it doesn't even come under the heading of what went wrong, because that's not coming to mind. It's the extreme amount of stimulus from Congress. I mean, that was impressive. I'm not saying it was good, just impressive. Uh, good through the near term, kind of hard to argue that, but there will be a bill to pay, but never saw that one coming, I got to tell you. That was... Uh, was one major piece of legislation. And the second stimulus bill is an ice bridge, and we'll see what the new Congress does late January, early February. I'm expecting uh, two to three trillion more before we get to a $2 trillion infrastructure bill, before we get to uh, the other major economic policies President-elect Biden wants to bring to our table. We'll see how it all goes. Uh, although we have a good uh, economic prognosis, it's not across all industries. What industries will blossom and which won't, especially travel, hospitality, entertainment, etc.? Well, you're absolutely right. Those are the ones that won't, not for a while. They're going to find the things that are doing well now are going to continue to do well because we have the time for home stuff, for hobbies, for skiing, for motorcycles, RVs have taken off. You're going to find that that doesn't disappear overnight. There are going to be some lifestyle changes. And we'll eventually go back to distance vacationing and, and traveling and other pursuits, but it'll be a slow process. The things that have uh, changed that you might want to watch out for are related to what you already mentioned, food service industry, uh, selling into restaurants, tough business and things like that. But the industrial side is doing well. Uh, commercial construction is not going to do well in 21, but that's a relatively short-term event. You're going to find that there's lots on the industrial side in the United States going to do well because of policy changes that are coming under the new administration. And we're going to find that uh, business should be strong as we go forward in the B2B realm. All right, can I address companies whose business is tech enablement of basic industries? Tech companies who are helping other companies to be more innovative. Uh, I did address manufacturing. Tech enablement uh, goes hand in hand. Uh, smart companies, uh, progressive companies, companies that want to do especially well in the next decade, have to take advantage of what I'm assuming are your services, tech enablement. Your problem is uh, ROI. You have to make sure people understand that. Risk mitigation, because you have a big risk with the technology. And what are your competitive advantages? Why should I bother doing that? Uh, that's more than ROI. It's why does this make me better in my marketplace? Why does this make me more competitive? Tell me the why beyond the dollar so that I can get awful enthused about what you're doing. But you should have good movement ahead as manufacturing uh, should do exceptionally well in the United States as we go through the next few years at least, probably longer than that. 
I understand the greater deficit in government spending beyond greater taxes and, and perhaps a weak dollar. Uh, what is the most significant macro uh, effect on the economy? Well, you've mentioned the biggest ones and that uh, it'll be harder for us to borrow later, which would lead to those greater taxes. I think that the thing that you probably want to add to that list is eventually the government would, would have to cut back on their spending. Uh, you can increase taxes, yes, but uh, there's only so much out there for the tax rich that you can actually do that'll make a difference. For example, President-elect Biden's plan to raise Social Security taxes after the donut, $400,000 and above, Social Security taxes are back on. Um, you know, that's billed as a, <clears throat> this will solve the problem. It doesn't. It just means the bankruptcy is less severe. The timing is essentially the same, bankruptcy is less severe. So you're gonna find that government is gonna to have to cut back on spending. That will become painful uh, to a lot of folks as we go forward. Uh, it's not in the near term, but you asked about the someday, and that's the someday. A meaningful market uh, for us is academics, especially higher ed. What do you anticipate in terms of in-classroom enrollment? Do you expect a permanent change or a temporary one? Um, I don't think it's either. Uh, I think you're going to see a bounce back, but you're not going to see all the seats filled, at least not for a long time to come. I think a lot of folks are saying, especially the millennials who are at home or maybe have families, they certainly have jobs. Those are the ones who say, you know, this works out really well. I can do this uh, from home much easier than traveling to school. Now, others like the classroom, and as soon as the classroom's open again, they're going to go. So you're going to find a bounce back. I'm just not sure it's going to bounce all the way back. You should know my prejudice in this is that I have uh, done distance learning and enjoyed it immensely. I have children who have gotten their master's degrees by distance learning and uh, they are as smart as can be. And we have people on staff who have gotten their bachelor's and master's from distance learning who are absolutely incredible. So I think more and more we see that you get a really quality education, but more on your terms and in your price range. And that can hurt uh, the higher ed seat filling. I think higher ed is going to have to change uh, what they offer. A lot of places will, not all places will. A longer answer than you probably want, uh, but I think you're going to find that change is necessary to attract people to those seats. Do they really need everything you're offering or do they really need a good education in a group environment? Because they're two very different things. Okay, uh, when we look at uh, the damage to assets, uh, let me read the question. How do you see damage to assets, infrastructure, buildings, fixed assets from cat losses, and I'm assuming that meant nat cat, natural uh, catastrophe losses, as a result of climate change affecting the economy going forward? Well, uh, the, the, the damage to those assets is just, if it's gonna happen, you, you have a basic supposition there that I'll just assume is correct. I, I, I think that's a statement, but not necessarily one driven by a lot of empirical evidence, natural wearing down, decay and such, it may not have anything to do with climate change. But in any event, it results in more spending, which at the moment means more debt, which in, means sometime in the future, uh, more taxes to pay for the debt. The theory is that if you do that new infrastructure bill, GDP will grow by enough, taxes will grow by enough to the state, federal government, so that they will have the money to pay for it. Um, the trouble is that hardly ever works, especially the part about you'll have the money because when more money comes in, state governments and especially the federal government love to take that extra money and do other things with it other than to pay the bonds 
uh, at the state level, for instance, that were taken out to pay for that bridge. Uh, so it's a, it's a, it's a difficult uh, process. I know that they should. I know that there's things tied to it. I, I do understand that, but they always seem to uh, find interesting and creative ways to not have the thing pay for what you have done. Tolls on highways uh, being a nice exception. So if you put a toll on the bridge, that can certainly do that. All right, uh, thoughts on commercial real estate and the fact that we might not go back to work in the same way going forward. I would say uh, might not is probably uh, really hitting it light. I think there are a lot of firms where you're gonna find more and more distance uh, distributed workforce, DWF or work from home. Uh, we call it DWF here. And therefore, commercial real estate price is going to uh, go down. Office space is going to be uh, less required. We're in a very uh, large old mill, and uh, there will be uh, space available. The landlord will not be able to ask the same prices that he's been getting. And that means that the value of the property is going to go down, all of which is to say, please be cautious about investing in commercial real estate. I would take a, a wait and watch kind of attitude you know, nine months out from now, is it is stabilizing in terms of vacancy rates or is it started to, to uh, edge up on a rate of change basis? Are you seeing that the price is probably near a low point? Don't have to be the absolute, absolute low. If it's near a low point and you have the feeling that more office space will be demanded, then it's time to get into that through a, rate, a REIT or through a direct purchase. The pendulum will swing back. Uh, at some time to a, to a, a uh, some degree, but it's impossible to say at this point how much. Certainly not as much as we had before would be my input. Uh, it says, you've tempted us now with reference to the Great Depression. Would you please elaborate on timing, severity, and causation? Well, I certainly didn't mean to tempt you. I just didn't get it, go into it because we wrote a book about it. And because over my very pleasurable years with the ACG, uh, we have talked about it enough that I did not want to take the time in that uh, webinar to talk about it some more. Uh, it is all in our book, Prosperity in the Age of Decline. Uh, it's a long answer to your question. I'll answer two of them. Uh, one of them is when, and the uh, timing, therefore, is right around 2030. That's the number that uh, Brian and I, my brother Brian and I, you don't know that, uh, came up with after our analysis in 2013. The book was published in 14. We just redid that analysis in 2020 and came up with the same conclusion. So right around 2030, a 10-year Great Depression begins. And by 10 years, uh, I mean before we are fully recovered, uh, it'll be 10 years according to our estimate. There are many causes. Uh, so for that, I'd reference uh, uh, the book. Uh, what do you see or recommend in regards to investing in human capital in 2021 and beyond? Uh, well, you're gonna spend a lot of money on training. You're gonna spend a lot of money on retention. It's gonna become expensive. You're gonna be seeing tight labor markets. Skills will be uh, an issue in many industries. And you're gonna to have to really induce people with good attitudes and aptitudes to get into your training programs or into some kind of training program so that you can have the labor force you need, all the while hoping you're not training up your competitor's next employee. All of which is to say, Whatever you can do to reduce your labor content, do it. If it's uh, spending money on IT, do it. Uh, machinery, equipment, uh, reworking your space, redoing the line, do it. 
if you can reduce the uh, headcount or at least stabilize the headcount as you go forward, it'll increase your profitability, especially as we get to those times of inflation. Labor rates are going up now, they'll go up even faster in the future. What will be the short and midterm impacts of massive, I underlined it, it didn't come that way, uh, and rising consumer debt levels behind this tailwind of consumerism in, in the US? Um, well, the short-term impact is nothing. Uh, there is no short-term impact. Uh, I, it's massive in terms of its size, but on a debt per capita basis, we're below year-over levels just by an inch, but it's the lowest year-over-year -year growth rate on a monthly basis in almost, uh, almost 10 years. So it's not to be just shrugged off. The amount of money is at a record high. You're absolutely right. But when interest rates are, are flat, as they are likely to be through 21 and probably through 22, according to the Federal Open Market Committee, and I don't usually bet against them. Stay tuned, though. They may change their mind, and we may change our minds. We might see some slight rise in 22. But even if rates go up in 22 by 50 basis points, uh, wages are going up faster than that. So the debt becomes very manageable. The question is, is, and that's even through the midterm, I don't know what you consider midterm, in the long term when wages are not going up uh, as fast as interest rates are going up, that's when you have a spending problem, and that's when people lose their jobs, and that's when you have a crisis on your hands. So it's a long-term problem. It's a very manageable short-term situation. It doesn't even rise to the level of problem at the moment. Uh, excuse me, I don't want to skip the one on cyber attacks. Thoughts on cyber attacks against the U.S. that were recently discovered and how that affects how businesses should be protecting themselves and whether that leads to increased international conflict. Yes, by all means, businesses have to be spending money on protecting themselves. I don't care if you're a business of two people and you're hearing my voice. You need to be spending money protecting yourself. Somebody's going to be putting some ransomware on your computer if they're not. And you may say you're too small. There are people who specialize in small businesses and short pickings. They'd rather do 100 folks for $1,000 and try to find that one $100,000 uh, uh, victim. So uh, please uh, spend money on yourself. You can't afford to not spend money on yourself. Um, and uh, as far as could it lead to war, well, a gentleman I know that's involved in the intelligence community thinks that it easily could be the precursor that in many ways, uh, we're, we're at the beginning stages, if not actually in a cyber war at the moment, one that just we don't know about, and that uh, the cyber wars uh, could easily heat up into uh, shooting wars. Uh, and when that happens, you have that international conflict. Is it a given? No. Is it a real uh, probability? I give it a probability. It certainly is a possibility as we go forward. Humankind seems to be given to those things. Uh, as we go forward. Okay, uh, unemployment is always shown as new claims or ongoing claims, but what about the dollars involved? The questioner asks, isn't a $200,000 loss of a job 10 times more important to the economy than a $20,000 loss of a job? Well, um, if we're only talking about one job, and because of the multiplier effect, the answer would be yes, it has a bigger impact on the economy when that $200,000 is not being spent in the economy as opposed to $20,000 not being spent in the economy. And the multiplier effect makes it even more so. But that's a big if, if it's one job to one job. Uh, and downturns, you lose more of the lower paying jobs than you do the higher paying jobs. 
that's a general rule, not an absolute. But when you look at, at how many are involved, it can uh, quickly add up to a serious sum, no matter what. And then you get into the number of jobs that were lost and how much stimulus is needed. How many state unemployment checks, federal un unemployment checks? Will it be $300, $600? How many $2,000 checks are we sending out? And that one person who was making $200,000 a year is a lot less expensive than the, than the 100,000 who are making $20,000 a year and now drawing unemployment. So uh, on a one-for-one, one, and that's all we're talking about, yes, but I think the problem is probably more complicated uh, than that. And paying attention to the numbers uh, as a group is probably the best way for us to go. Somebody asked if I could uh, talk a bit more about modern monetary theory and its influence in the next several years. Well, as I already mentioned, it means that as long as the GDP growth is going on above inflation, you could borrow ad infinitum. Uh, you do borrow to invest in the economy, not frivolously. Uh, but the creation of uh, that debt does have a price to pay down the road. One way or the other, that debt is, is accumulating, interest payments are accumulating. Now, for the last few years, the, the amount of money being spent on interest payments has been going down because interest rates have been going down but they're not gonna stay flat. Uh, you may read people who say interest rates are gonna be like Japan, we're gonna, it's gonna be flat for the next 10 years. Uh, I bet you all the money I have that that's not the case and that we're gonna see asset bubbles created, we're gonna see inflationary pressures come and we're gonna see interest rates have to go up and when that happens, that's when MMT begins to fall apart. That and when other nations go, whoa, you may be the United States, but really you owe 200 percent GDP percent debt to GDP. You're like Japan. We don't think that's sustainable. We don't think that's a good play. And we do believe there's a day coming when those types of statements will be made. We'll see. Uh, to us, it does not sound uh, theory. To us, it is not a sound practice. It just feels really good in the moment. It's a great sugar high. Uh, what impact do we see from Brexit on the U.S. and world economies? Uh, not a lot. As you know, that uh, the U.K. and the EU just signed a free trade agreement. It's going to help some companies in the U.K. It's going to hurt some companies in the, e in the U.K. It's going to help and hurt some companies around the world, uh, depending on how they're impacted by the agreement. But overall, you're not going to see GDP for the world being, you're not going to see the U.S. GDP hurt or help. You're not going to see the United Kingdom show a great deal of strain and, and change either. Our view is that uh, what weakens over here is made up for over there. And that the, while the economy is definitely not a net sum game, it's, it is not. It's a good way thing to remember that one person's pain can easily be somebody else's gain. And therefore, we're not expecting any great supercharged UK economy because of this, and neither are we expecting the UK economy to implode on itself because of this, which are what the proponents and opponents uh, like to say. Um, I think we're gonna look back and go, huh, that was it? For all the noise that this has been given. All right, uh, two questions on cryptocurrency. Uh, what are your thoughts on the recent rise in value of cryptocurrency? Uh, I've not thought a lot about it. Um, uh, wild swings tell me that I don't want to put my money there. I like stability. I like relationships. I like value. Uh, if I'm going to have a long-term parking lot, I have money in the stock market. I understand that there are rules, there are regulations, there are things that make sense. Uh, cryptocurrency is not 
something that a lot of people my age are going to put their, their uh, wealth in. Uh, they're not. It's just too wild. Would you really want to put a lot of money into there? Uh, the recent rise is just a picture of uh, volatility, and volatility is, is not a good thing in this case. Won't Bitcoin replace currency at some point? Well, Bitcoin probably not, but cryptocurrency may. Uh, cryptocurrency, though, that's going to replace currency will be with rules and regulations and uh, governmental backing uh, and international transfer rules and regulations and valuations. It'll just be a cryptocurrency. And right now, Bitcoin and things like that are used for transactional currency, but they're not used for the way that currency is used in the broader sense. And so uh, it may someday, I project uh, here today in front of you that I will be long past carrying uh, when that comes about. We see inches of movement towards that. We see the U.S. Treasury talking about creating their own cryptocurrency. We're going to see other nations do the same thing. And that may eventually lead to a global cryptocurrency. But you know, it took like, I think it was 12 years for the Maastricht Treaty to come into being. It's a lot of years uh, just to decide on a euro. Uh, it's going to take a long time uh, for cryptocurrency to be uh, used in the land as ubiquitous as the dollar bill. All right. Um, the next thing the person says is, I think previously you indicated that we would have recession in 21-22. I think I'm remembering correctly, uh, a serious recession. I don't think I said that word. This person asked if we had mentioned in the past about a serious recession, 21, 22. Uh, was, it that, was it the COVID lockdown that disrupted that view? Well, I went back and looked because you got me wondering. It's not what I remember, 21, 22. Uh, our pre-COVID forecast was done in August, uh, with August data, 2018. So September 2018, so a long time before COVID. And what we said then was that U.S. industrial production and GDP would be slowing down in the second half of 2019 and that there would be a, a mild, not severe, mild uh, downturn in the three-month moving average of U.S. industrial production uh, in the uh, first quarter of the year. Uh, that was happening. We were seeing the rates of change going down in GDP uh, during the President Trump's administration. The number was going up, but the rate of growth was going down. Industrial production was weakening very noticeably. B2B activity was weakening very noticeably. Uh, so all of that was, was happening as we had forecasted. And then along came COVID just to make things interesting. Now, the last person asked about uh, is there any significant change in the legal immigration process in this year, 2021? I want to call up to my screen so I can have it in front of me, uh, President-elect Biden's uh, program. So let me bring that around so that I can now see it. And President-elect Biden's plan on immigration is, he's got uh, multiple points, uh, five of them. One, modernize America's immigration system, uh, suitably vague for local interpretation, but uh, I don't know what that means. Uh, welcome immigrants in our communities. So working on changing the process, number one, working on changing attitudes, number two. Uh, I think many communities do welcome them, but that's a Allen statement, not an official statement. Reassert America's commitment to asylum seekers and refugees. That's a international political statement. I am not sure what it means and how that translates into action. The fourth one is tackle the root causes of ir irregular migration. Have to admit, I had to look that one up. Uh, irregular migration is a term that we're using. It's been in use in Europe for a long time. 
It uh, basically means the uh, flow of uh, refugees and illegals into the system, uh, into a country. So that as there's this large influx of population, some legal, some not, what he's saying here is we'll actually look what's happening in a country, Nicaragua, and determine what's going on there and try to fix that so that we don't have this problem. So being uh, able to fix social problems in other countries so that we don't have the irregular migration is part of his plan. And implement effective border screening. Uh, I don't know what he means by that. I did not read the details. I will add, it's not an immigration issue, that one of the things that President-elect Biden has made pretty plain is that he wants to raise minimum wage uh, to $15 an hour. It's federal level, which will flow through to all of us. Uh, what he has not said, and last time I looked, he has still not said, is how fast. If we go from today's rate to $15 an hour in 2021, uh, boy, will we have fun looking and see what that means to the economy, the jobs, and to cost of everything. And we'll be right back at you on that. But more than likely, he doesn't mean that. I don't think he's going to do a Seattle. I don't think he's going to do New York. I think he's going to do a step process, because the last time Congress took this up, they said over the course of years, a dollar a year. So at a dollar a year, it's a much easier process. At a dollar a year, it's a lot less disruptive. And when the minimum wage goes to $15 an hour, you're going to find that it helps some people who are on the bubble and those that were underwater. It makes them less underwater, but it is not going to solve the problem because uh, you can't at the same time control costs. You can't at the same time control people's spending and their habits. Um, all you can do is put more in their paycheck and hope for the best. All right, that was the last question. Uh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, even virtually. I hope this has helped you. I hope my answers were cogent and uh, that I understood your questions correctly. And I so look forward, I hope to seeing you in 2022. Thank you all very much. I hope you have a great day.